Do you love maple syrup? Ever thought of making your own? Blaine's Farm and Fleet makes it easy with just a few key items. Stop in today for some friendly advice and all the supplies you need to tap and gather your sap. Farmers are good stewards of the land and care about the environment. Climate-smart agriculture and regenerative agriculture practices are used to determine the impact of climate change, such as soil carbon sequestration or reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Charity Seebecker from the Midwest Farm Report. Diane Meyerfield, Senior Outreach Specialist at UW Extension, explains the difference between these and how to achieve a good connection between resources and the allocation of them. I would say there's a huge amount of overlap between the two. Um, Climate Smart Agriculture is specifically looking at one kind of environmental problem, and that's the greenhouse gas emissions that are destabilizing our climate. Regenerative agriculture takes a little bit of a broader view and is looking at other things as well. Neither of those terms is fully defined, but I would say in general, regenerative agriculture also worries about things like social dimensions and wildlife and water quality, but it is also very concerned about agriculture's impact on the climate. So what is the problem? I know that's kind of an open-ended question, but what is the problem? I know earlier we were talking about private ownership or air even and things like that. So what is the problem and potential solutions? Well, the problem is that our climate is changing as a result of human activity. And the big human activity is that we've been burning a lot of fossil fuels and that puts a lot of carbon dioxide in the air. And that is just making our planet in general warmer. But in specific places like in Wisconsin, the actual impacts of that have mainly been things like really intense rainfall in the spring and fall. So we've seen warming, but what we've noticed is these frequent recurrence of floods. Another activity actually that's contributed to putting too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has been the way we farm. That the way we farm has taken carbon that is stored in the soil in natural ecosystems like prairies or forests. And because of the specifics of how soil microorganisms work, farming means they actually take that carbon out of the soil and release it into the atmosphere as CO2. So the problem is our climate is changing and the problems from that are going to get worse. The floods in Wisconsin are going to get worse. The wildfires in California are going to get worse. And so all of us have to do what we can to start bringing those greenhouse gases out of the air. The climate is not something an individual owns, right? So we have to work together on this. We have to manage a common resource. And there's some principles that people have identified for managing a common resource. And they include things like making sure that the rules you make actually have a basis in how the resource works, right? So the first thing we have to do is understand what are these gases that are destabilizing our climate and what are the activities that are emitting the gases. And for some of them, it's very easy. When you burn coal, you are taking carbon that was locked up in the Earth's crust for millions of years and you're putting in the atmosphere as CO2, which is a greenhouse gas. With agriculture, it's a much more confusing and dynamic system. So one of our challenges is figuring out exactly what we can change in agriculture to make sure that we're not contributing to the problem, 
but we're contributing to the solution. It's not always as sometimes it's portrayed to be the cows, gas emissions or CO2, things like that. It's also coming down to the management decisions that farmers are making. But farmers are also very caring and very concerned about doing that. And so we're not saying it's a bad thing, you know, but these are things to be aware of. So speaking of the solutions we talked about earlier, having clear boundaries or a good connection between your resources and your allocations. Can you talk about those and explain how do you achieve that? How do you achieve a good connection between the resources that you have and allocation of them? Yes, well, that's the big question, isn't it? But I would say, and this is what people who have studied successful management of common resources have said, making sure everyone's voice is heard is really important. Because if people are left out of the decision-making process, that rule-making process, then they have no reason to try to follow the rules. So that's really critical is making sure everyone's voice is heard and making sure farmers speak up. And also, though, making sure that everyone at the table listens. This is really a negotiating process, right? We're negotiating in some ways in our climate management over who gets to keep doing what they've been doing and who has to change. And in some cases, those changes are going to cost money, right? Or going to add labor or something like that. And so this is such an important problem that it's really important that not only that we are honest when we come and make those negotiations, but that we listen to other people too. And so within agriculture, there's often a tendency for people to want to have simplistic solutions and to say that there's one system that's better or worse. So organic farmers will probably naturally say, well, the organic system is better because we don't use synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. And a conventional farmer might say, well, conventional farming is better because we can do no-till. And, you know, if you're an organic farmer, you have to do all that tillage. And there's truth to what both of them are saying. And we have to have an open mind and keep looking at what the real world is telling us. So the USDA released a graph or chart that talked about greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture specifically. And do you mind talking about what was included on that and then what you feel is potentially missing from that chart? Absolutely. So this chart is uh, based on modeling, right? Based on what we know about agriculture and what we know about what causes greenhouse gas emissions. And the biggest chunk on the chart is what's called nitrous oxide emissions from cropland. And this is because nitrogen, which is an absolutely critical nutrient for plants and also a critical nutrient for people in the form of protein, has many different states. And one of its states is something called nitrous oxide, which turns out to be a really, really potent greenhouse gas. And so when you apply nitrogen fertilizer to your fields to make your crops grow better, some of that gets taken up by the plants, but about half of it doesn't. And some of that nitrogen that doesn't get taken up by the plants is turned into nitrous oxide by soil organisms. The next biggest chunk is the one that probably a lot of people have heard about, which is the methane from enteric fermentation, which means from the digestive process of primarily our cattle, but also other ruminants, uh, everything from sheep and goats to deer. That is a big source, that's another big source of methane. 
then after that is methane from managed manure. So that's manure that's stored in a liquid lagoon. That, because of the specifics about that manure storage, they're, again, microorganisms that turn the carbon in that manure into methane, which is, again, a very potent greenhouse gas. And then another very important source is the nitrous oxide emissions from rangeland and pastures, from grazed lands. And that's just because there's nitrogen in the manure from those animals. And then the, finally, there is the energy that is used on farm for things like you know, running your milking machinery and heating your greenhouse or running your farm equipment. So those are what USDA has in its chart. But that leaves out a couple of important things. One of these important things is something that USDA puts in another chart, but a lot of people only look at the one chart that says agricultural emissions. So the other thing is the carbon that can get released when you change a land use. So if you have land that's in woodland or in prairie and you change it to cropland, there's a lot of carbon stored in that soil that then gets released to the atmosphere. Conversely, if you take cropland and turn it back into pasture or into conservation land, then it will start s storing carbon again. Unfortunately, the time scale's a little different. The carbon gets released very quickly when you go from a carbon storing management to say, a disturbed management like, like annual cropping. But the ecosystem saves carbon pretty slowly. When you plant little trees, they're not taking up a lot of carbon. They're tiny, right? When you first are establishing a grassland, it takes a long time for those grasses to see, pull a lot of carbon from the atmosphere into the soils. So land use change, that's one of those um, major sources of emissions or one of those things agriculture can do to help solve the problem. So if we can pull, you know, integrate trees into our agriculture or integrate things like prairie strips into our crop fields, we can start using agriculture to actually help take carbon back out of the air. The other one that's missing is that um, it takes a lot of energy to make the inputs that we use and rely on in agriculture. And the biggest one of those is nitrogen fertilizer. Again, it's huge in making sure our crops grow, but it takes a huge amount of energy to make it. And the estimate is that 10% of agriculture's greenhouse gas emissions globally come from fertilizer. And about 40% of those emissions are just from making the fertilizer not you know the stuff we talked about before the what happens in the field but just the process of making the fertilizer causes huge climate emissions i'm just so impressed by the things that farmers are doing the farmers i know and the farmers i don't know but hear about uh, they're being really innovative in trying things whether it's uh, things like composting being innovative about how to make cover crops work with their existing system to ones who are really pushing the boundaries. Uh, one of the areas I work in is agroforestry, and there are farmers who are doing really creative things with integrating trees on their farms. And I think that's what's gonna help us solve this really, really difficult but really critical problem. That was Diane Meyerfield, Senior Outreach Specialist at UW Extension. 
To learn more, go to cias.wisc.edu. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker. Every part of your vehicle serves a purpose, especially your tires. When they aren't right, it makes a big difference in safety. So, find great deals on trusted brands of automotive and specialty tires for farm machinery, utility vehicles, and more at Blaine's Farm and Fleet.